Good morning, Orlando Grace Church. Uh, today, I believe, marks week five of OGC at Home, and, uh, and we're beginning a new series. We're going to be walking through the book of Daniel, which uh, it's really providential um, that six months ago, we decided that this Sunday we would be starting the book of Daniel. Uh, and in God's providence, uh, this is it turns out this is a really good time to walk through the book of Daniel. Daniel is uh, one of the parts of the Bible that we, we call apocalyptic literature. And I know when, when most people think about apocalyptic literature, they think about prophecies and end times and crazy beasts. And while those elements are all uh, in Daniel, uh, the, that's not the main purpose of apocalyptic literature. Uh, the main purpose of apocalyptic literature is to, um, to help believers who are struggling or um, confused or scared to give them a glimpse of of something promised and assured in the future that will help them in the here and now amidst their confusion and their challenges and their changes. So you can see why I think this is um, it's very providential that six months ago we decided today we would be going through the book of Daniel. And in chapter one, when we're introduced to Daniel for the first time, um, we see that everything in his life, it seems like, has changed. But Daniel uh, remains firm that the most important thing hasn't changed. And, and for me, this is, this is good to hear uh, because so much in my life has, has changed. Uh, we rarely leave home anymore. Angela's homeschooling now. Uh, there are financial uncertainties in her life. Never did I imagine we would be so diligently monitoring the toilet paper use of our children. Um, I'm speaking to a camera, not to a church. These are just really different times. The extrovert in me is withering right now, but it's just another reason that why Daniel chapter one is such an encouragement to me because amidst all the changes that he's experiencing, uh, it's abundantly evident uh, that the most important thing in his life and ours has not changed. So that's kind of the way I want to look at Daniel chapter one. I just want to look at what has changed for Daniel and what hasn't changed. Um, in hopes that that would be helpful for all of us. Um, so, what has changed? I love the way that this book start this this book starts out. It doesn't say once upon a time. You know, we, it doesn't start out a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, it isn't Narnia or Middle Earth. Um, we see right off the beginning that this is rooted in a specific place in in space and time. It was the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Uh, as king of Judah and the reign of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon as Babylon was besieging Judah. That's, the, uh, that's when all this begins. And on the surface, as you read Daniel chapter 1, it looks like everything has changed for, Dan for Daniel. Daniel was likely um, a teenager at this point, and there were three, we know historically, there were three major waves of attacks by Babylon onto, um, onto Judah. They began in 605 BC, lasted about 10 years, and likely Daniel and his friends were, they were taken away from their families during this first wave um, of attacks by Babylon onto Judah. And, and he's taken because Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to take the best Israelites. He wants uh, to take the best brains and the best bodies and the best social skills, and he wants to make them truly Babylonian. So what all did this involve? Well, it obviously involved a change in location. Uh, they were taken from Judah to Babylon. They would never see their parents again if, if their parents were even alive after the attacks. 
They were given new names because their Hebrew names uh, glorified the, the Hebrew God. And so they were stripped of those names and they were given uh, Babylonian names that glorified the Babylonian gods. So that was, that was different. Um, they were given new languages, both, yes, languages to learn and to be able to speak. They were given new histories to learn, new mythological texts to memorize. Uh, they were exposed to a whole new worldview. Um, and they were made eunuchs because they were going to have uh, extremely high access to the king's life. But there was one other change that, um, that is easily missed, but we can't overlook it. King Nebuchadnezzar, by taking the vessels of the house of God, both animate in, in the form of these people and inanimate, uh, he was making a clear, a clear claim that your God is dead and mine is alive, he is in charge, and he is more powerful. And so maybe the closest thing we have to appreciate uh, what's going on is the Olympics. Um, we're not having Olympics this year, but uh, when we can have an Olympics again, uh, you know, we, we put our best athletes out there, whether it's a singular athlete or a team, we put them out there. And, and if our athlete wins, our whole country wins. If they lose, our whole country loses. So in the same way, in that day, whatever uh, nation was, was militarily successful, uh, that nation's God was declared uh, at least more powerful um, and, and the losing nation, uh, their God was declared l less powerful or even just dead. And so we have all these, uh, these significant changes. Daniel's not used to all this new environment. He's not used to his God, the name of his God being drugged through the mud and being laughed at and ridiculed. And, and, and you know, you look at this and my first thought is that it certainly makes the Corona crisis look like a walk in the park. But as you read this, uh, I, I, as I read it, I begin to think, well, Nebuchadnezzar is really successful at, at making them true Babylonians. They look, they're beginning to look Babylonian in every way. That is until, uh, until he asks them to share his, his meal, his meat and his wine. And that's where Daniel draws the line. And it sounds like such a weird place to draw a line. I mean, I can tell you if I were going to draw a line, it wouldn't be at the filet and a glass of red wine. I, if I was going to draw a line, it would have been somewhere else in this text. So why why the food? What's going on? Well, some people have um, some people have suggested that it's because the food was defiled in some way. That it was um, maybe it was uh, it was a food that was seen as unclean by the Hebrews. But if that were the case, it doesn't that doesn't explain why he couldn't partake in the wine. Some people have suggested well it's um, it's because the food was offered to an idol. Well if if that's the case, then why could he eat the vegetables? And other people have suggested that. It's, um, it's because uh, this kind of sharing of the king's food, it communicates a loyalty and a trust that Daniel didn't want to communicate. I really have no idea um, why exactly Daniel chose to draw the line here. But um, personally, I just think that Daniel had to draw the line somewhere. So he decided it was here. This is where I'm going to draw the line. And, and personally, I look at it and, and I think it's really amazing that that after all these changes that Daniel would draw a line at all. I mean, he's gone this far and, and he faces, um, honestly, kind of a posh life for an easy life. If he would just follow the rules, um, he could have become a Babylonian, a true Babylonian, and just kept this, this kind of secret, private affection or devotion to the Israelite God or to the Israelite heritage. 
but that's not what he does. I've had some really interesting uh, and, and honestly encouraging interactions the past couple weeks with people who uh, who used to go to church and don't, and for whatever reason during this um, this pandemic they have interacted with some content that we've put out online. And, uh, and I think about these friends that I've talked about that are communicating some desire to come back to Jesus and come back to the church. And I think there's a lot they could be encouraged by in this process um, of watching Daniel and all his changes. Because some of these people that I'm interacting with, they, um, they, they came to Orlando. They're not from here. It's a new location. They hit the ground running, and they just never had time to connect. Uh, others grew up going to church. Uh, they, they went to college, moved away, interacted with worldviews that really challenged uh, the Christian worldview, and, and they stopped going to church. Other people that I've talked with have real emotional and, uh, and physical wounds that have caused them to doubt God's goodness and even his existence. And so it's been very encouraging to me as I get to interact with some of these people. Um, hopefully, if you're listening now, looking at all of the trials and changes that have happened in Daniel's life and how, in a minute, we're going to see um, why he could remain faithful. I hope that's an encouragement to you. But for all of us, Daniel is putting his foot down. He's putting his foot down to claim some kind of loyalty to God. And in the midst of all the, the changes and the challenges that we're experiencing, I, I think it would be easy to put, put our faith on the back, back seat in some way. But Daniel, he's not just trying to survive. He isn't putting uh, his faith on the back seat. He is looking to trust God because he knows that God is the only thing that has not and will not change. So we've, we've looked at what has changed, and now we get to see God is the thing that hasn't changed. God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. Nothing about God's sovereignty and control and character has changed in any way. And we, we see some of this uh, in this, this repeated phrase, the Lord gave. The Lord gave. And this is, um, you're going to see this three times. And the first one is in verse 2, where we read, the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand. That is the, the hand of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. So clearly God is in control. He is, in, he is sovereign over everything. But with this verse, it, it gets a little bit uncomfortable because we're, we're confronted with the fact that God gave Judah, his people, over to be exiled um, into Babylon. And I think it's fair if we're going to claim that God is sovereign over, over the good parts of our life, that we would have to acknowledge him as sovereign over what we would call the bad parts of our life or the things that we don't understand or don't like. Um, and so we have, to, we have to then ask ourselves, does, does this call into question the morality of God? How could a good God let something like this happen if it's inside of his control? So if you are familiar with your Old Testament, you know that the problem, it isn't, the problem, the moral problem isn't with God. The moral problem is with the Israelite people. Because God has been telling Israel over and over that this very thing would happen to them if they, if they rebelled against him. If you go back to Leviticus uh, chapter 26, this is where God has laid out the blessings and the curses involved in a covenant relationship with them. He's showing them this is how, uh, this is how we relate and this is how you thrive. And, and he tells them repeatedly that if there is continued rebellion on the part of Israel against God, that he would scatter them among the nations and leave them to rot in the land of their enemies. So this was very clear from the outset. 
And so the Israelites then go that direction. They are rebelling, and God graciously, he gives them warnings along the way. He tells them, you're going down this path. This is not going to go well. Uh, He uses the, the, the prophet Isaiah. He sends Isaiah to King Hezekiah. At that time, um, the Assyrians were, were viewed as the threat. And Hezekiah, as well, he's called to trust in, in the Lord, that the Lord will provide. But Hezekiah decides, I would rather put my faith in the Babylonians. And so Hezekiah is, is wanting to develop this partnership, this alliance with the Babylonians to be able to protect himself against the Assyrians. And that's when the prophet Isaiah comes in and says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And you know how Hezekiah responds? <laughs> He basically says, so you're telling me that I'm going to be safe from Assyria and the next generation has to deal with this, not me. That that sounds great, Isaiah. I'll let the next generation figure that out. And I'm sure there's probably an application here for all the debt we're building up for our children and grandchildren to figure out. But I'll, I, I won't go down that rabbit trail. So the clear point is this. How can anyone question God's morality when he gave them such clear instructions? And and they're not just instructions uh, to do for the sake of doing. These are instructions for human flourishing, how they are designed to thrive and interact with the God who, who made them and created them. Uh, and, and then just to give him clear warnings along the way. What we're seeing is that God is faithful. And he is faithful both in his promised blessings and faithful in his discipline for his people. But there's another reason, I think, that um, that God's character can't be questioned here. And it's because he promises that for those who love him, that everything that we do, whether we perceive them as, as good experiences or bad experiences, that he will use them for his glory and for our good. And that's exactly what we see happening in Daniel chapter one. So I'll give you two examples. First, when Daniel does decide to put his foot down, he goes to the chief of the eunuchs um, and and asks, could I, could I not do what the king wants me to do? Could we only eat vegetables and water? And, and this is actually the, the second place that we see one of these God gave phrases. The text says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs in verse 9. And this man, this chief of the eunuchs, he, he could, I mean, you think about what Daniel was asking. He's saying, I don't want to obey the king. This chief of the eunuch could have had him jailed, could have had him killed. But because of the favor that God had given uh, Daniel with this man, he he looks at him and I, I interpret this as somewhat sympathetically. And he says, listen, if I do this, you will look ragged. And then it's my head that's on the line. So after getting no, a no from the chief of the eunuchs, Daniel then goes to the steward who was placed over him by the chief of the eunuchs. So we're going one notch down here in terms of the chain of command. And he makes the same request, only this time he he adds uh, this test or this trial period. He said, let us, let us try it for 10 days. And if we look ragged, then fine. But if we don't, we let us con- continue. And uh, he agrees. And here is where we get to see uh, God really working uh, for his glory and Daniel's good amidst really challenging and difficult circumstances. 
they come back after 10 days of consuming less calories and they are somehow noticeably bigger. <laughs> I mean, th this is God working to take care of them uh, to allow them to remain faithful. I, I, I kind of laughed this week thinking about, I know there's something called a Daniel diet. Uh, I think it's funny that we would develop something called a Daniel diet when Daniel and his friends got fatter on it, but I digress. Um, all right, so that's the first way that we see God's uh, God's faithfulness and goodness to these people uh, amidst their challenges. The second way is that we see God, God working for Daniel's good through the third intervention, the third God gave statement. So at the end of the three years of training for these men, they are presented by the chief of the eunuchs to Nebuchadnezzar uh, for some sort of um, uh, oral test and challenge. Let's see, see how much you really know uh, about our culture and Nebuchadnezzar's amazed. <laughs> He's amazed. He actually says, these guys are 10 times as good as anybody else that I, that I have. So why is it? Why are these men 10 times better? And the answer is another God gave statement in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. So how can you, how can you question the character of a God uh, who would who is rightly punishing his people, rightly scattering his people, um, who is who has no fault. The people have rebelled against him. A God who has symbolically removed his presence from the temple, and that is that is what happened when when the Babylonians were allowed to take these vessels from the temple, and God did nothing. That was a symbolic gesture that God had removed his presence from that place. That this, under these circumstances, that God is continuing to pursue and love and care and provide for the people who deserve nothing but judgment. You cannot call the, the morality of this God into, into question. And, and those of us who, who know the Bible understand that this is consistent with his character and it finds its climax in Jesus Christ. Remember, God removes his, his presence from the temple. And when Jesus comes, John chapter 1, John says, uh, the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is actually tabernacled. So, so you see that Jesus is the new temple. Jesus, because a temple is functionally the place where God and man meet. That was Jesus. And Jesus, the new temple, takes on the wrath of God for all of us so that we could become temples. Because when we believe the Holy Spirit come, the Spirit of, of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes into us and we are individually temples. And every part of this story, the character of God is affirmed in significant ways. God gave them the grace to endure terrible circumstances. He gives them everything they need to carry out the, the unique call given them in their lives. He gave them grace to persevere in their faith. He gave them the ability to use their extremely challenging circumstances to propel them into the inner circle of the most powerful man on earth. One commentator said, sometimes God allows hardships to reach us so that his mercy can reach others through us. And I want to say something to the younger people listening. So Turner, Collins, and Ivy, this is you. I want you to remember that Daniel's a teenager. He's maybe 15 years old when God calls him into a life that is both unbelievably difficult yet amazingly significant. And he was ready. And 
And the reason he was ready is because he was prepared. He had been preparing himself through little acts of wisdom and little steps of faith for his whole life so that when all this came down, he was emotionally and mentally and spiritually prepared. Because there's going to come a day when when you leave your parents' homes and everything's going to be new. Everything's going to change. You're going to have a, a new location and you're going to be around new worldviews and new authorities. And you're going to have a total freedom to do whatever it is that you want to do. And you will have to decide in that day, who will you serve, regardless of those circumstances. And and I'm coming here to tell you that, that how you answer that question then um, is greatly affected by the smaller steps of wisdom and faith that you take now. And my favorite part of, uh, of this whole chapter is actually the final verse. In the last verse, it, it seems totally irrelevant if you don't know um, your ancient Near East history, but uh, here's, here's verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So do you realize what's being said? King Cyrus was the king of Persia who would reign 65 or 75 years later. So not only has Daniel outlived Nebuchadnezzar, he's outlived the entire Babylonian empire. And what we're seeing in a real way is that kingdoms rise and fall, but the people of God, they will, we will continue forever. And we can't mistake uh, what might seem like uh, God's silence for his inactivity or his inability there are only two real kingdoms. Uh, Paul calls them the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And almost every earthly kingdom that, that we have has both kingdoms of darkness and light uh, within it uh, waging a war. And, and it, it, it's a very odd kind of war because you have the kingdom of darkness where, where the people in that kingdom typically don't even know that there is such a thing as a kingdom of darkness, but their values and their goals and their aspirations and their hopes, they work against the kingdom of light. And then you have the kingdom of light warring on the kingdom of darkness, but not through anger and intolerance, but through sacrificial love. Knowing deeply that there is a better kingdom and a better king for all those people who we care about, who we interact with, who we love. And this is a king who allows himself to be marred, who allows himself to be ridiculed that we might be saved. This is a king who is sovereign over everything, even when we don't understand the situation, when we're confused, or when we don't like the events that are transpiring around us. This is a king who will one day deliver us into his fully realized kingdom, and that king is Jesus Christ. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, what he thought he was doing was making true Babylonians out of Daniel and his friends, but at the end of the day, he only made more influential and stronger men of the one true God. And Daniel, I think, he knew that even amidst all the changes and the challenges in his life, nothing about God had changed. God was still every bit as good and gracious and merciful. And the promises to those who who faithfully love and follow him, they remain the same. And I think that's what enabled uh, Daniel to look past his circumstances, to see hope in his circumstances, and to be able to remain faithful through truly uh, challenging and trying times. So I hope you can see why um, this is an encouragement to me. I hope it's an encouragement to you. Uh, now would you pray with me? God, we are, we are so thankful for 
the ways that you guide us and care for us. We are uh, truly deserving of nothing but your wrath, and yet you, you pursue us, and you call us, and you woo us, and you keep us. And so we pray that this would be, um, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would really make this this truth fall deep down inside us and whatever our circumstances is, that there would be this Daniel-like conviction and hope, uh, not because we can muster it up in ourselves, but because of who you are and that nothing about you changes. We thank you, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.